Thanks so much. So good to be uh, with you. Had a, a good week this week. We were away in lots of different things, but one, one of my highlights was being at Encounter Camp. Anyone at Encounter Camp? I know it's just me. Um, we have a, a project, King's Arms Project, which uh, reaches out some of the dis- most disadvantaged in uh, our region, but there are lots of other projects across the nation, and, and every year they gather to this place called Encounter Camp, bringing as many as will come, and it's just a phenomenal time. Many have never been on holiday before. It's camping, it's encountering Jesus, it's uh, worship and prayer. It's just amazing, and so many stories i preached on the love of God. Uh, it's just breathtaking to see people encountering the love of God for the first time and never having heard anything like that message before. Uh, One lady came forward, there was a word of knowledge about scoliosis. She came forward and she said she was in chronic pain, 7 out of 10 um, pain. And uh, I said, you know what the source of it is? She said, well, I've always had it, but my leg is clearly shorter than the other one. So he sat her on the chair and, you know, did the leg measuring thing. I mean, it's it's only approximate, but you could see it was like three quarters of an inch to an inch shorter. And um, so I was praying for her, and I wasn't detecting anything happening. I couldn't see anything moving. She says, someone is pulling my leg. Someone is pulling my leg. I was like, well, I'm not pulling. I'm just literally holding your feet. She says, my leg is being pulled. Keep praying. (laughs) So we kept her praying. And it was a weird thing because I never saw it move. But by the time we finished praying, they were the same length. All her pain was gone. She was completely pain-free. The next day in worship, she gives me the thumbs up. She's still good. It was brilliant. Just, uh, I just love it. You know, we don't see everyone that we pray for healed, but the more we pray for, the more we see healed. It's a sign of his inbreaking kingdom. And I'd love to pray for you actually at the end if you're sick in any way. I'd love to take a moment to, to pray. And so we're, uh, as Kirsty said, we're drawing to an end to our series on love, relationships, and sexuality, uh, love matters. And we wanted to just uh, look at a couple of things that we haven't um, been able to look at. You know, the reality is this, everything that God created is good, and relationships are one of those things. He created good relationships for us to enjoy and benefit from, yet like everything else in this world, once was good, now it's broken. <laughs> and we live with the pain of those broken uh, relationships. And, and you may have pain, our pain in re- broken relationships comes perhaps from a couple of different sources. The first is pain in the relationships you do have. You know, Caroline and I had been married about six months when I came home from work. Hey, I, I think we walked into the lounge. Hey, I'm home. And then I walk into the no reply, I walk into the lounge, and there she is sitting on the chair, the hoover in the middle of the room, and she's crying. And she just said, it's not working. And I didn't know much about marriage at that point, and I didn't know much about relationships, but everything inside said, she's not talking about the hoover. <laughs> Do not mention the hoover, or you will make things worse. <laughs> So I said, babe, what's wrong? And out came this whole thing of this was not what marriage was meant to be. This was not what she had signed up for. And it took us on a journey of just healing and, and repentance and just getting the, the pain of relationship, the, the marriage that we thought we were having, we were not having. Uh, certainly she wasn't and I wasn't either. And then we began a whole journey of, uh, of restoration. And, and so it might be the relationships you do have. It, a good friend of mine, his... His uh, mother committed suicide when he was very young, and he lived his whole life with that pain over his life. And uh, it might be your relationship with your child or your parents or any number of things. It might be relationships you do have, or it might be the relationships that you don't have. It might be a pain from relationships that you don't have. You know, you've never known your 
parents or your father was left when you were young or uh, you've looked for a spouse and hoped to get married but never got married or a broken relationship with a child that you never see anymore or any source of relationships that you don't have. I remember um, chatting to a friend of mine who works in the, worked in the justice system and she was telling me there was a, a guy, she was one of her clients that she was working with and he, she was around when he got to have a, a baby with his partner and um, she told him the names of the, of the he told her the names of the, of the child, he had two names and uh, the child, first name, middle name, and she asked him, well, any significance to the names? You know, thinking that maybe got them from the book or a book or something like that, baby names book. He said, well, I've got two um, twin sisters who, uh, when I was young, um, we were separated through my parents' breakup, and I've never seen them again. I've never had, I've got no way of contacting them, even if I tried. And he said, I'm hoping that one day they will find me and when they do, I want them to know I was always thinking of them. So I've named my baby after my twin sister's names. Think, oh, the pain of relationships that we don't have is often as great, if not, of the pain of relationships um, that we do have. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is going to be a cheery morning then. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to make light of it because it's serious, isn't it? And, you know, the Bible is brilliant at addressing serious topics. And we can't, you know, we can't skirt around these things because these broken relationships, the pain of relationships, affect all of us. Anyone here not affected by broken relationships? No, I didn't think so. We are all affected. What, what, does, the, what does the Bible say? What does it say? And, I, and we can't even just look at one passage because actually the whole book is about broken relationships. The whole book is about the pain that we come, from, we come to in relationships and, and how we navigate. How do we come to relational wholeness? What does that look like? And, and so I want to look at today at just four foundations to relational wholeness. And, and we'll take them a broad uh, kind of brushstroke through, through the scriptures to see what the Bible says. And, and the first foundation is this. God is the source. He is the source. The greatest broken relationship of all is between us and God. That's where it all starts. That's where it all went wrong. We were designed to have a relationship with God, but because we turn from Him, and those of us who are Christians will have heard, heard this message before, that's the source of all brokenness. And the whole Bible speaks as that being the source, and that God is the source and the way out. And this is what Jeremiah 2 says. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. You get the picture? Every sin is two sins. The first sin is we've turned away from God. He is the source, and we've dug our own way. We've tried to get our own satisfaction, our own needs met. So whether it's sexual sin or pride or, or anger, or any, any sin that you can name, there's it's two sins, really. The first is that God was meant to be the one who met your needs. You were meant to find everything in him because he is everything. He's the source of life, and yet you turned from that source, and you, God says you've dug your own cistern, and it's a broken cistern. It's a cistern that cannot satisfy. And yet into that, this is what Jesus says, John, John 7:37. on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He's saying, listen, you're surrounded by broken systems that you've dug. And if, but if you've got to the point where you've realized you can't do this, then come to me. Come to me because I can give you, I can reconnect you with the source. I am the source. And if you come to me, if you will turn from your broken systems and come to me, I will reconnect you to wholeness again. 
And so if, if you are not a Christian tonight, I want to appeal to you. If you are tired of the broken systems of trying to get your relational needs met in things that cannot deliver, then I want to appeal to you this morning. As Augustine, the great church father, said, our hearts are restless until we found our rest in you. <laughs> Come to him. Come to him this morning. You can come to him this morning. You can come to him and find him as your source for relational wholeness. And you know what? If you are a Christian, the challenge for us is, do we still find ourselves with some broken systems? Are we still looking in the wrong place? Because what I've seen in my life and in many other lives is so often we overload the relationships around us with things that they can never deliver. <laughs> You've gone very quiet. <laughs> So many, my own marriage included, but so many marriages break because one spouse or the other cannot cope with the load of expectation. The per- we're trying to get out of our spouse what only God can deliver. We're trying to get out of our friends what only God can deliver. We're trying to get out of our boss or out of other relationships, our parents, our children, what only God can deliver. We're trying to dig a broken cistern. And the, and the question for us is, will we repent this morning? Will we come to him and say, Father, these relationships, it's not that the relationships are bad, they're good, we need them, but if we try and overload someone with what God alone can provide, then no wonder they break. God is the source. So the question for us is, where have we tried to overload the people around us? Where do we need to repent and come to Him? God designed relationships to provide. And, and, and He designed them to provide for our needs. And you know what? Even when they break, this is the beauty, he promises to step in. This is what what Psalm 68 says, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. Psalm 27, Though my father and mother will forsake me, the Lord will receive me. God does not promise that our relationships won't break. What he does promise is that he will step in when they break. Now, no matter what your situation you are, fatherless, widowed, no matter where you feel the pain of a broken relationship. God never promised that relationship won't break, but what he does promise is that he himself will enter in. So if you've got relational pain this morning, if there's an area where you are feeling the brokenness of relationships, I want you to to stand on that promise this morning. Because you can come to God and say, God, you promised to step in to my life at the very point of brokenness. How does he do it? Well, sometimes it's directly. I remember the story, I I thought I told it to you guys recently, I think, of Martin Luther King, 25, when he took over the civil rights movement. Uh, Incredible oppression, incredible pressure on him. Uh, Arrested for the first time for driving five miles over the speed limit. Uh, Threats from the Ku Klux Klan. I mean, just horrendous pressure for a 25-year-old man. I had no idea until I, I, I started to look at this, how old he was. 25 years old, incredible pressure, the weight of a nation on him. Incredible oppression, in prison, comes out of prison, gets home, phone call, deep voice. If you don't get out of this town in three days, we're going to kill you and blow up your house. And he says he sat at the kitchen table all alone, and this is what he writes. As I sat at that table, thinking about that little, my little girl and thinking about the fact she could be taken away from me at any minute, I started thinking about the dedicated, devoted, and loyal wife who was over there asleep, and I got to the point, and I could not take it anymore. I was weak, and I bowed down over that cup of coffee, and I'll never forget it. I said, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right. I think I'm right. I think the cause we represent is right, but Lord, I must confess, I am weak now, and I'm faltering. I'm losing my courage, 
And it seemed to me at that moment that I could hear an inner voice say, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And lo, I will be with you even to the end of the world. I heard the voice of Jesus saying, still to fight on. He promised never to leave me. Never to leave me alone. No, never alone. No, never alone. He promised never to leave me. Never to leave me alone. (laughs) We have a God who loves to break in directly. who loves to step into our lives directly in the point of our relational brokenness. That's the very point that we can call on him for help because he is our source. And, and yet many times he doesn't break in directly, he comes in indirectly. He, he comes in through surprising places. Uh, I was talking with um, uh, someone once about, uh, about marriage and the fact that they long to have a spouse and, and really feeling the pain of, of that in this particular season. And as we were talking and I was saying, uh, saying well, she, she said, would you pray for me for a husband? I said, absolutely, I will. I want to pray for that. But also tell me what are the need? What do you really need? What are you looking for from that relationship? And I can't remember what exactly what she said, uh, companionship and friendship and comfort, intimacy, those kind of things. I said, I, I want to pray for you for a spouse, but I also want to pray that while you wait, that God will provide for those needs. <laughs> Because those are not invalid needs. Those are not needs to just be kind of pushed aside. Those are real needs. We all need intimacy. We all need friendship. Let's pray for God to provide us. But let's also pray that he will meet your needs while you wait. And you could see the lights going on as we prayed for for this. Because sometimes we have our hearts fixed, don't we, on one solution. And it's not that that solution is necessarily a bad solution. But sometimes God says, well, hang on. there's, There's other ways that I can meet those needs. I've seen that time and time again. What I've learned from my life is we can get locked on a particular solution. I remember praying with a guy who's been horribly bullied, horribly bullied. And, and as we were just talking about it, I said, well, just where, where, where did it happen? He said it was in the changing rooms. There was no teachers around. And just like the whole class, just, just, horrend- just a horrendous, you know, life-defining memory. And uh, as we were just praying and considering it, I said, where, 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 you know, picture yourself there. He said, I remember sitting on the bench all alone. And, and I said, how, how, what do you want to say to God? He's like, God, where were you? Why did you leave me alone? Why did you abandon me in my hour of need? And he just got all this pain that he was carrying out. And I said, well, did no one come alongside you? Did no one stand with you? And he said, gosh, there was one kid. I remember I was sitting there alone, and then after a while, this kid came up and sat next to me and put his arm around me and said, are you okay? And he said, Jesus, I'd never seen it before. That was you. He said he was not a popular kid. He wasn't one of the in crowd. He was just one of the kids in my class. I'd never really spoken to him before. I suddenly, And he began to realize it was Jesus who came to him in his hour of need. He wasn't on his own. But you see, he was so fixed on how he wanted God to come through. He'd never seen it until we prayed together. What about you and me? Do we come and say, God, you've got to deliver my relational needs in this way? Or do we say, Father, you are God. And I've got these needs, and I present them to you. Will you come and meet me in that place? And if you look at the Scriptures right the way through, God meets people's relational needs in surprising ways. From Hannah, who was crying out for a child in the temple, and God meets her need through a grumpy priest who doesn't really want to be there and thinks she's crazy, to Elijah, the prophet who feels like he's alone and is depressed 
And God says, well, hang on, I've saved 7,000 people I've preserved who've not bowed the name, not bowed their knee. Right the way through the scriptures, you see people meeting God not in the ways that they expect, him coming to them not in the ways they expect, to, 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 uh, to Jacob, who's basically screwed up every relationship in his life. His brother wants to kill him, and God has to wrestle him in the middle of the night <laughs> to get him to come around to his way of thinking. Are we as believers saying, God, you are my source. And I, 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 and I set myself to that, that you are the cistern that I'm going to drink from. I'm not going to dig my own, but I am also not going to demand that you come in a particular way. You know, the God who likes to appear as a baby in a manger, he's got some creative ideas up his sleeve. Who would have thought of that? What does it look like for us? The second thing is this, Jesus enters in. Have you felt loss? Jesus felt it. He wept at the tomb of his good friend, Lazarus. Have you felt the sting of betrayal? Jesus felt it. All his disciples left him. Have you felt abandoned? His own family and friends left him. Have you felt alone? He was in the garden of Gethsemane. Even his good buddies couldn't stay awake. Have you felt frustration? Why will they not get what I'm teaching? (laughs) He still feels that way about us now, I think. Have you felt misunderstanding? Jesus was misunderstood by leaders, by the people. Have you felt injustice? He went through a sham trial. The point is this. At every level of relational brokenness, Jesus enters in. He was there. And here's the lie that we all believe. When we're in a broken situation relationally, this is what we believe. No one understands me. And it is a complete lie because Jesus does. He went through it all. This is what Hebrews says. Therefore, since you have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who is tempted in every way that we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Why? He was there. Psalm 147, he heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. Remember the story of Henry Nouwen, the the Catholic priest. Broken man, sexually confused, messed up, alone. Encounters Rembrandt's painting of the prodigal son in St. Petersburg, uh, in a, a cathedral, I think it is. And those who've seen the painting, the original, say they think it's... some. I've heard numbers of people say it's the greatest painting that's ever been painted. (laughs) And and, uh, Henry Nouwen stood there as he saw this painting of the prodigal son, and he just stood there, and I think, it's, I think the story goes, he stood there all day, just looking at this painting, as he encountered the Jesus who came in. And he realized, no matter how broken my life is under relationships, and out of it, he has brought so much strength to others, as he's described his encounter with Jesus in that place. And, and more than this, when we make hard choices for the sake of the gospel about relationships, when we have made hard choices that cause us perhaps to not have the relationships that we would like to have, this is what the scripture says, Isaiah 56. This is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me, and I'll fast my covenant, I will give them in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not 
be cut off. Matthew 19, everyone who has given up houses and brothers and sisters or a father or mothers or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in, reward, in return and will receive eternal life. Jesus enters into the pain of our relationships and when we choose to walk with him and sometimes even choose to sacrifice for the sake of him, thinking of those of you who have turned your back on sexual immorality because you have chosen Jesus, he promises you a reward. He promises you a reward when you say, Jesus, I'm choosing your way. I may even suffer relationally because of the choices I'm making, but I am choosing you. He promises you a reward. You can look happier than you're looking right now. He promises us a reward as we follow him. God is our source. Jesus enters in, and then the Holy Spirit leads us along a path. He leads us through to healthy relationship. This is what John 16 says. When the Spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own. He will speak what he hears, and he will declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me by taking from what is mine and disclosing it to you. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, look, I'm not leaving you a self-help book. I'm not leaving you a guide to a perfect marriage. I'm not leaving you to how to win friends and influence people. I'm leaving you the Holy Spirit. And it's not that any of those things are bad. But they've all got to be submitted to one, the Holy Spirit. And he will take from mine and he'll give it to you. He will make it come alive to you. Because Jesus left us so much profound insight into relationships and how we should live them out. Uh, just a few illustrations he talked about don't judge. Don't judge and you will not be judged. You will be treated the way that you treat others. The standard used in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you've got a log in your own eye? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with a speck in your friend's eye. You're like, Jesus, how is that helping me? I like judging people. It's fun. It makes me feel feel good. Anyone else feel? No, you won't admit it. I know. <laughs> we enjoy it, don't we? It, makes, it, it shores us up. It makes us feel a little bit more secure and a little bit more important. And Jesus says, don't do it. It is relational poison when you judge. It's relational poison when you judge. It, it, it fills your relationship with toxic mess. When you judge, what you're basically saying, say your parents, for example, when you judge your parents, what you're saying is, if I had their hand of cards, I'd have played a better hand than they've played. And you know what the truth is? No one knows. Because you don't know what hand they've been dealt. You don't know what influences they've been had. You don't know what's in their brain and what's in their head. No one can judge anyone else and say, I'd have done better than you if I'd have been in the same situation. And none of us think that we judge. None of us think that we do, but we all do it. We all do it. Oh, can you believe what she said? Oh, my goodness. Can you believe what they are doing? I heard this is the way they're raising their kids. On and on and on and on like a blimmin' tape recorder that will just never stop. Anyone? Is this anyone connecting now? You won't admit it still. All right. <laughs> Don't judge. 
And, and it's not saying we shouldn't discern right from wrong. Absolutely, we should discern. But judge, you know when you judge, you feel slightly elevated, slightly superior. Only a little bit. Not that anyone would notice. Just a tiny bit on the inside. That's what it looks like. Jesus says, don't do it, because it is the source of poison in your relationships. And we have seen it. And, it, and as people repent of this and, and, and change their thinking about judgments, I mean, I, it is the freakiest thing. I have seen the freakiest things happen as people respond to this. It is bizarre. I mean, my, one of my favorite stories is a guy, as he was listening to us talk about not judging, he responded to repent of judging his brother, who had made a mess. His brother had got his girlfriend pregnant and then decided that he would, did not want that relationship and just fled and left his parents and him to care for this girl who they had never met before. And they've got this girl, they've got the baby, they've got this relational mess. He was so bitter towards his brother, so bitter. And he stood to repent and realize, I have judged him. <laughs> He did do wrong, but I have judged him. I have felt superior. I felt angry. I felt bitter towards him. And he repented. In the break, the coffee break, or the lunch break, sorry, after the session, he comes back in with his phone in his hand. He said, you'll never believe what's happened. My brother, who I've not spoken to, I think it was for five years, just called me. He called me and said, he's made a mess of our family. Is there any chance that we would take him back? I mean, how does that even work? Because Jesus has the truth. And when we follow his ways, suddenly pff, supernatural stuff just starts happening because we become the conduit to his supernatural life. The Holy Spirit sometimes likes to put a little finger and say, what's going on right now? We all know these things, but it's when the Holy Spirit says, you're judging that person, as he said to me as I was preparing this message. None of you, other people. <laughs> and then in Matthew 18, forgive Forgive your brother and sister from your heart. And, 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 and then Matthew 7, do to others what you'd like them to do to you. This is the an essence of all things taught in the law and the prophets. What's the point? Give and you'll get. <laughs> we all go into relationships to get, but Jesus says, no, 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 go in to give. Go in to give and then you'll get. And, and you'll get what you give. There's a kind of weird kind of twisted logic there, but that's what happens. When you... When you understand, you start to treat your relationships differently. And then, and then in uh, uh, Matthew 18, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, what's he saying? He's basically saying, be clear with one another. Don't hide. I, I mean, just a, a, many of you know we went to marriage counseling, Carol and I, a few years ago. Just another season where we wanted to go deeper in our relationship. And, and uh, one of the points made to us was this. Look, you just dance around each other. For goodness sake, stop dancing around. Simon, what do you want? And he's, I was like, uh, I don't know. And I told him a few things that I wanted, wanted from Caroline. And he's like, Caroline, what do you want? And she told a few things. And he's like, just do that for each other. <laughs> we're like, oh, why didn't anyone say this before? You know. <laughs> so often we're so unclear, aren't we? We dance around each other and we don't quite get clear with each other in friendships, in marriage relationships. We kind of, you know, we we'll all go away. Oh, they didn't quite meet my needs. Just be clear. That's what Jesus is saying. Just be clear with one another. Sort it out between you. This is what he said to us. When it comes to relationships, we don't go to get, we go to give, and then the getting just turns up. We go to give, and then the getting just turns up. Whereas if we go to get, what happens? We tear each other apart. But if we're just clear with what we need, but then go to give, well, then the getting just turns up. So profound. And you know what happens as we are led by the Holy Spirit, as he comes into our lives, as we say, Holy Spirit, 
Is there anything in my relationships that I need to work on? I mean, surely there's not. But, you know, just a small thing. <laughs> I know they've all got to deal with these huge issues, but just a small thing for me. And he'll like, well, okay, if, you, you know, if you're asking. <laughs> if you're interested, in my opinion, well, you know, just in case you had anything. I'm sure you haven't, but... <laughs> and he's like... <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> Hang on, let's just start with one at a time. Anyone else? Ah, oh, forget you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Nick and Connie. I see that hand. <laughs> What's the point? The Holy Spirit. Jesus is promising this. Look, you've got relational brokenness. I know that. But if you will allow the Holy Spirit to come in and to lead you, he will lead you. You know all the, you've read the Bible. You know the truths that I've laid out. But you need someone to say, right now, it's time to forgive Right now, it's time not to judge. Right now, it's just time to be clear. Right now, it's time to do this or to do that. God is our source. Jesus enters in. The Holy Spirit will lead us. And, and the fourth foundation is this. God gives comfort. 1 Corinthians 1. Praise to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father, the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others when they are troubled. We will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. The more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it's for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gave us gives you us. Now, I don't know if you got that, but that paragraph has got the most bizarre logic that you will ever see in terms of relationships and suffering and pain. This is the logic. Do you get it? Basically saying this, I'm, I'm grateful for my suffering because when we suffer, we receive comfort through God, uh, from God through Christ. The more we suffer, the more God will shower us with comfort the more comfort we receive will be the more comfort we'll have to give to you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. So our suffering is actually for your benefit. Did you get that? Did you get his logic? He's not saying, you know, I'm super happy about suffering. But what he's saying is, I see suffering. And this is obviously all suffering, but I'm putting it through the lens of relational suffering. What he's saying is, I see suffering through a very particular lens. And it's this. When I suffer, I know that God rocks up because I'm his kid. What parent can leave a child alone that's suffering? So if I'm suffering, I know dad's going to show. Sooner or later, dad is going to show up. And when he comes, he is going to bring with him showers of comfort. In fact, he said, the more I suffer, the more I'm expecting him to turn the shower of comfort up. And... So when I suffer, I know he's going to come. The comfort's then going to come. I'm going to get showered with comfort. And so what that means is I'll have more to give away to other people. So that you will then be able to go through the suffering that you go through because you'll have received comfort from me. So in that way, I can praise God even when I suffer. Anyone else need their head rewired? <laughs> I mean, that, that's a repentance journey right there. To see our suffering as a way that God can pour more comfort onto the planet. I'm not there yet. But I, I've seen it now and I feel like I want to take some steps towards it. 
to start to respond when I suffer, to think, gosh, I'm really suffering right now. Whoa, here we go. (laughs) Here we go. Here it comes. Why? Because I know that my dad's going to show up. Is that your knee-jerk response when you suffer? <laughs> it's not been mine, but I'm, I'm saying, Lord, I want to I think like that. Because then when I think like that, then I will have more to give away. And you see, I, just so many stories I've heard over my lifetime. One stands out to me, particularly a lady who was raped on her wedding day. She was raped on her wedding day, left for dead. She survives. Her husband waits for her, but then he dies. She then finds another guy that she married, and she's now set up a whole organization in Africa for what she will not call them victims of rape. She calls them survivors of rape because she says, I want to teach people that you can get through this. And a man alive, has she, who can argue? You know, who can argue with her testimony? Who can say, you don't know what you're talking about? What's she doing? She's saying, with the comfort I have received that God has given me, that has got me through this horrendous situation with that comfort, I am now going to pour it out to other people. I'm going to show them that there is a way ahead. What does it look like for us to realize that God is our source, that Jesus has entered in, the Holy Spirit will lead us, and that God himself will comfort us? And we won't see it all in this life, but the greatest comfort of all comes, 1 Peter 5, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace has called you as to his internal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. We won't see complete relational wholeness in this life. We won't see the fullness of it all, but one day we will. The greatest comfort of all is that one day God will wipe away every tear. And as Hudson Taylor, who buried his daughter Gracie in the soil in China where he was a missionary, said... I don't want to meet the one who wipes away every tear and have no tears to wipe away. I don't want to live my life so insulating myself from suffering that I've got no tears to wipe away when he, I meet him face to face. I want to have some tears for him to wipe away. I was um, chatting with a friend of mine this week who introduced me to his sister. And he said... Um, You've got to hear our story because I grew up, my father was an alcoholic. He left us when I was young to have an affair. I knew that he probably had another kid, but I've never really thought much about it. Two years ago, I was watching a TV show and it was about relational reconnection. And uh, I thought, well, why don't I see if I have got a sister? And so he said, I sent him a message on Facebook and um, to the person I thought, well, maybe she is my sister, saying the right name, you know, right area, maybe she's my sister. Didn't hear anything. Two years later, I get a message from her. Yes, she think she is my sister and we should meet up. So she said that we meet up and her story was this. When she was 12, she sat with a social worker and her, um, the social worker asked her mum, do you want her? Her mum laughed and said, I don't want her. And she said to her dad, do you want her? He said, I can't look after her, I don't want her. So she went into care. That was her story. Broken relationships. She's now reconnected with her brother. I met her on an evening at the beginning, I was saying, well, what's your journey? Have you got any faith at all? She said, she said I've been so provoked by my brother. I don't have any background, any history, any knowledge of this. I said, well, how close are you to coming to Jesus? She said, I'm, a bit that, I'm about this close. That night, she gave her life to Christ. We won't see it all perfectly in this life. We will all suffer, but the reality is this. We will see the picture of an incoming kingdom. 
we will see visions of God breaking in and restoring and comforting, and even why we wait, bringing comfort to us. These, I think, are the foundations for me of relational wholeness, of how we can find God as our source, how we can see Jesus enter in, how we can ask the Holy Spirit to lead us, and how we can feel and receive the comfort of God. What's it going to look like for you? Why don't we take a moment to pray?